on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them, be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we have heard your word. And Lord, now we pray that you would bless it to us, that we would understand it, that we would be shepherded by your word, your word which is the voice of our good shepherd who has already laid down his life for us. We pray that you would lead us and guide us, and that we would be responsive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jesus had just crossed the sea. And if you remember, Jesus had just crossed the sea, and it was a pretty terrible journey. You remember this? I'm sure the kids can remember this as well. Jesus and his disciples were on the boat. They were crossing the sea, and in the middle of the night, Jesus is sleeping, and a great storm arises, and the storm rages against them, and the storm is so dangerous, it looks like it's going to end their lives. It looks like they're going to be destroyed. They're going to drown. And then Jesus responds, his disciples wake him up, and he responds, and he calms the raging sea, and the sea becomes very, very calm. And then, in the morning, Jesus gets out of the boat, and he's met by another raging something. This time, he's not met by a raging sea. He's met by a raging man. And the man is such a rage. The man is a dangerous man. Everyone's afraid of this man. He can't be controlled. He's as uncontrollable as that raging sea. And this man rushes up to Jesus, and everybody, I'm sure, is quite terrified. And instead of Jesus being terrified of the man, the man bows down before Jesus, and he begs him, don't torment me. And Jesus responds to this man by casting out the demons that were in this man. And then the demons rush into a bunch of pigs, and then the pigs rush off the cliff, and they drown into the sea. But the man... Is the man a rage anymore? Is the man a rage or is he calm? He's calm just like Jesus had calmed the sea. Jesus had calmed this man. 
we see Jesus has complete authority. To be an authority means that you are in charge of things. You can do anything that you want. You can tell things to happen, and they will happen. And Jesus has authority over the sea, and Jesus has authority over the man. Jesus even has authority over Satan. And Jesus uses his wonderful, powerful authority to calm this man, even this man, even though this man was a rage. There's a lot of things we can see that Jesus wants us to see in this passage. He wants to shepherd us with this passage. It's great that we know this story. It's great that we know it's a true story. But it's very important that this story is something that Jesus uses to lead us, to change us. And one of the things that we see incredibly clearly is the self-destructive slavery of freedom from God. And you'll see, if we've got that up on our notes there, I'm not sure we have it up there, but we'll see the self-destructive slavery of the freedom of God. We see freedom of God is in scare quotes there because there really is no such thing as freedom from God. Question for you, was this man free or was he bound? It's a bit of a trick question, isn't it? Because the man was unbindable. They tried, right? The townspeople tried over and over again to chain this guy up with chains. He was unbindable. So you might say, oh, some guy who's unbindable, unchainable, he must be a very free man. But was this man a very free man? He was not free at all. In fact, if someone were able to bind that man, it actually would have given him some freedom, wouldn't have. No one had the strength to subdue him. We saw that in verse 4. Now, we've seen this before. But Jesus' miracles are also parables. Jesus, he, tells, he does miracles, but these miracles are actually also parables. So these are true stories that happened. These are true miracles that happened, but they also serve as parables. And they show us spiritual truths that things that are not always easily visible for us. We also see that Jesus has head-to-head battles with Satan in the Gospels. But these are not the battles that Jesus normally has with Satan. This isn't normally the way that Satan attacks people. Not normally the way that Satan attacks men and women. Usually what Satan does, the battles he prefers, are telling People lies about Jesus. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, the first time that men and women were attacked by Satan, did he come into them and did he throw them around? What did he do? He came up to them and he told them lies about God. And what was the lie, essentially, that, Jesus, that Satan told Adam and Eve about God? The lie he told them The lie he told them is that it would be better to be free from God's rule. 
Satan had, had noticed that Adam and Eve were living as the subjects of God. They were living under God's authority. They were living as if God was their king because he was. And they were living as if they were the ones who were created by God and he was the creator because he was. And they were enjoying a wonderful life, living underneath God's authority, him the ultimate authority. It was a totalitarian authority. He controlled everything. And it was a wonderful life Adam and Eve lived. Nothing could have been better than to be under God's authority. And Satan comes in and he lies to them. And he tries to get them to believe, and he successfully does this, that it would be much better, much better to be free from God's rule. It would actually be better to be a peer with God. Now, I'm not sure if you know what the word peer means, but children, if you have parents, and children have parents, you are not peers with your parents, right? Your parents are the boss of you, right? They're in charge of you. You're not their parent, and you're also not their brother and sister. But your brothers and sisters, they are your peers. They're equal with you, right? you got mom and dad, and then you've got you. And Satan's lie was to tell Adam and Eve, you know what? It's better to be God's peer. It would be better if you were one of God's equals, and that you didn't have God telling you what to do all the time. Actually, it would be better if you got to decide what was right and wrong rather than asking God what is right and wrong. And Satan said that freedom from God's authority, that's true freedom. But remember, what did God tell Adam and Eve would happen if they did this? Did he say, oh, you're going to have great life, but it will be wrong? No, God said, you will die because of this. And so this demon-possessed man is a picture, true, it happened, it's a picture of the slavery of rebellion against God. This man is not free. Over and over again, we see in the Bible that sin enslaves. Sin makes people Slaves. Jesus will say later, the one who sins is in slavery to sin. And we also see that to be bound by God's law is really to be truly free. Sin enslaves because actions, the sins that you do, they flow from the heart and that you are stuck. You are enslaved to your desires and your sinful desires make you a slave to sin. I want you to notice this man's life. He's pretty dangerous to the people around him, right? Nobody wants him near them. He has to dwell by the tombs and in the mountains, far away from everybody else. He is a menace to, him, to, to others. He's dangerous, but he's also a menace to himself. When you look at this man's life, and Mark gives us a picture of this man's life, it doesn't seem like a very restful, peaceful, free life. What is he doing all night long? He's crying out. Did you notice? He's crying out. He's, he's in agony. He's not at peace. He's crying out. And what else is he also doing? 
Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is the kind of slavery that is destructive. It destroys people who are slaves to sin. It's not a good slavery. It's not good to be under the reign of sin. Now, we can certainly see that this is true when we look at the big picture. We look at societies that turn away from God's authority. The promise is, oh, it's going to be so free, so free to live as though God is not our king We don't need a king. So much more freedom. So much better to live as if God is not your king. To rebel against God. Oh, that's free. That's beautiful. That's great. And yet we see how destructive it is. It's actually mutilating. Freedom is not actually what is happening. Now a good example of this is where my family has originally come from, Holland. Holland now, in rebellion against God, in freedom, true freedom, has an industry that counsels teenagers with any hint of autism to commit suicide with the help of doctors. What a loving and free society that is. Let's kill everyone. Parents can take their toddlers to the doctor to have them killed. If there's any hint of a disability, a learning disability... Wow, what freedom. We see in some African countries, female genital mutilation. What freedom. Destructive, harm, cutting. In North America, we see the transgender surgeries and medication, which basically has a mutilating effect. We see what's happening with this demon-possessed man, cutting himself with stones, harming himself, mutilating himself, is on display in these countries. Countries that, force, that, that have population control. Either maybe that's forced population control. Or maybe it's just voluntary population control. But they've convinced everybody that children are bad. They're not, you don't want to be free from children. Because children are just going to make your life more enslaved. And they're going to, they're going to bind you down. And they're, you're not going to be able to be free to pursue your goals. What has happened to these societies? is it has harmed the societies. Loneliness. Older people dependent on a faceless government to take care of them rather than a family that loves them and knows them. Economies that look like they're going to collapse because they don't have children being born, enough children to work in the workforce to take care of those who are trying to retire. The point is that freedom from God's rule is actually not just wicked, It's self-destructive. And it actually ends up being a slavery. We must do this even if it harms us. And now we can look at that. It's right for us to see how destructive sin is and rebellion in societies. But dear brothers and sisters, this is true for you and me as well. This is true for us. We have seen this in ourselves, if we're honest. The choices that we have for freedom are actually bound by strong desires, which 
hamstring you, which harm you. They harm your future and they harm your present. They harm not only those around you, but yourself. Even every single person in this room has experienced the destructive power of sin. When we made a choice and we said, no, I'm going to do this for myself. I'm going to ignore what God has said. Not everything God has said. I'm just going to pick this one thing. And and then you become enslaved to it. Some people are enslaved to money. It controls all of your decisions. And it destroys other parts of your life. Some people are enslaved to honor. They want honor. And and because of that, it controls them. And it destroys other parts of their life. Some people are enslaved to sex. And it controls them. And it ruins other parts of their lives. Some people are enslaved to rest. And it becomes laziness and slothfulness and it ruins other parts of their life and they don't want to be lazy but they feel enslaved to it. Some people are enslaved to conflict avoidance. I I can't have conflict with anybody and that enslaves you and it destroys other parts of your life. Some people are enslaved to career and it controls them and no, I can be, I have the right to be enslaved by my career and it ruins the family that you have where you could have had. Now this shows how wicked our hearts are to rebel against God. This is not shown to us so that we could feel sorry for ourselves. Oh, I should feel sorry for myself because I'm so enslaved to sin. It really hurts me. No, this actually makes our guilt worse. Why does it make our guilt worse? Because it would be one thing, friends, if we were enslaved to a cruel tyrant and then we rebelled against that God. It would be, it would be understandable if we rebelled against a wicked God who makes laws that are against us and that harm us and harm our children and harm societies. It would be, it would be understandable if we were rebelled against such a bad God. But this shows us How doubly wicked our rebellion against God is. We're not rebelling against a bad God. We're rebelling against a wonderful, good God. And given the choice between this wonderful God and destruction, we choose destruction. This shows how deep and how wicked our sin is. When the demons were cast out of this man, they were put into the, where were they put into? They were put into a herd of pigs. What happened to that herd of pigs? What happened to them? Did they live long and happy lives? Those pigs were driven by the demons headlong off a cliff and drowned into the water. It's a very interesting note. Why is that important for us to see that? You know what it tells us? it tells us what the demon's intentions were for that man. That's what would have happened to that man. It exposes Satan's desire. His lie is, come with me, I want to give you more life than you could have with God. But his true end goal is your death. And therefore, dear Christian, when we, when you are tempted 
to disobey God's law. Oh, I'm just going to look at that seductive image. Oh, because it will be better for me. You are being so foolish. Because you are not just rebelling against a, a mean God who doesn't want good things. You're rebelling against a good God who only wants good things for his people. And you are choosing a pretty wicked king, which is your own heart. Our next point is a more beautiful point. The true freedom brought by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had just calmed the raging storm and he did that with powerful authority and he lands on the shore. He's immediately confronted by another rage. And even that storm, the rage of the devil inspired human rebellion, even that must submit to him. The raging man and the demons fall at Jesus' feet. And the demons know that Christ has authority over them. And they embarrassingly ask him, their enemy king, please don't destroy. Don't destroy us. And Jesus commands the enemies to leave the man. He casts them out of the man. And this acts then as a parable. That he is showing that he can cast the rebellion out of the human heart. Jesus has authority to cast the rebellion out of your heart, making you a truly free human. And they have no choice but to listen. There is no fight. There's no point. He asks them, what is your name? And what is the name that, that the demons give? Legion. And what's the answer? Why is, why is it that they give this, this answer? Is because we are many. Now, why is it important for us to know that there was more than one demon in this man? Legion. Lots and lots and lots of demons in this man. Why is that important? Well, I think one of the things that's good for us to see is that it wasn't a fair fight. We got Jesus and we got a legion of demons. And it's not even a close fight. We don't have to worry about how many demons can Jesus take on? You know, one, two, maybe eight and if the, if, the, if the wind is going in the right direction, maybe he can do a hundred. Nonsense. It's not a fair fight. It doesn't need to be. But I think if we see, if we compare this and add a whole bunch of other things that we learn from Scripture about this, I think one of the things that God wants us to see very clearly is that you cannot select your slavery. You can't select your slavery. You can't say, I'm going to actually, I'm going to choose to rebel against God, but only in this particular way. I'm going to choose this one thing to be enslaved to, this one thing to be in rebellion against God to, but the rest of my life, I will be in control. But that's foolish. You don't sell yourself into slavery and then offer conditions after that. A slave has no rights. You can't, you can't get into the car of a kidnapper, a man who says, by the way, I've been trying to kidnap you for years. My goal is to kill you and I want to ruin your family. You don't get into that man's car and be like, we're getting off at fourth and second. You, ca you can't do that. That's so foolish. You cannot, you cannot have any control over the extent of your slavery. You can't select your slavery you can't be like, no, 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 I'm only going to entertain lustful thoughts 
from legitimate TV shows and movies. No, no, no. I'm, I'm only going to look at pornography. I'm not going to do anything actually other than that. I'm, no, I'm only going to lie, but only lie, lie on my taxes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to be a liar. I'm not going to, I wouldn't hurt people. I would only lie to them. I'm, all of the sins are wrong. I, I wouldn't want to be controlled by other things, but I'm, I'm okay with being controlled by laziness and slothfulness. Or the one sin I permit myself to have is arrogance. Which is a pretty arrogant thing to think. You do not get to, to, you can't give yourself over to sin and then say, I also will have control. Because sin is a totalitarian master. You don't give it an inch and expect it to only take an inch. Just like God is an authoritarian God, where he commands all things in your life for good, sin is a totalitarian master. And total ruins, ruin on all fronts is the goal. James, in the letter of James, in the book of James, we see that sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to life. No, it gives birth to death. And so we see after this man comes to Christ, there is a total calm. Did you notice that in verse 15? And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Under the authority of Christ, this man truly, finally had freedom. Not freedom to sin, and not freedom to destroy himself, but freedom to live. Freedom to be truly human. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now the other gospels record that the demons say, don't, don't destroy us, don't torment us until the time. Because the devil knew that there would be a time when Satan would be crushed by Jesus. And we understand that Jesus had authority to crush the rebellion of Satan. The raging rebellion that Satan had started in the Garden of Eden that has spread to Adam and all of his, ans all of his descendants... Jesus had authority to crush that rebellion, to put it down. Sent into the world to remove all the rebellion on behalf of his father. He is sent to remove all the rebellion, to crush that rebellion. But if he did, if he just came into the world immediately to crush that rebellion, to crush all the rebels... Dear friends, that would have included you and me. Because we're all implicated in that. All of us have participated in that rebellion. And so the first time Jesus came, he came to be destroyed by sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that he became sin who knew no sin. The only human who had ever not sinned he 
became sin. He took on that identity. He took on our record. The Bible describes it as, as him taking on our wicked, filthy robes. We put them on him. And then in Isaiah 52, verse 13, we read this. 700 years before Jesus came, predicting what would happen. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Dear friends, what sin does to us in this life is bad. This man cutting himself with stones. You and I, when we sin, harming ourselves and the people around us. This is evidence of the destructive power of sin. But it is, it is nothing compared to the results and the consequences of sin. Nothing compared to what will happen when we face God in judgment. This man's slavery to the devil and rebellion, he caused, it caused him to deface and to mar his resemblance. And when Christ hung on the cross, that is what was symbolized. Because Christ was marred. He was crushed, but not for his rebellion. In the way that sin was destroying this man, in part, Christ was, was destroyed in whole on the cross. He was marred. He was cut. He was crushed by God. But not for his rebellion. Not for his sin. Because he had none. He was crushed instead of us. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But more than that, death leads to our judgment. Death is the door to our judgment. We read this in Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. And so Christ did have authority to put down the raging rebellion against God. He had authority to crush it, to end it. But he also had authority to save the rebels by being crushed, marred, struck, killed in their place. And his sacrifice was also an act of authority. He laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him. A man who could calm a storm. You don't take that man's life. If he's going to die, he's offering it up of his own authority. And he showed that he had authority. It was an act of authority to die by being raised on the third day. Dear non-Christians, would you choose life? Would you see the foolishness of rebellion? And, and would you see the goodness of God? 
Now, don't try to earn that and say, okay, I'm going to do better now. That would actually be more rebellion. Instead, turn to Christ. Rather than you being crushed for your sin, your only other option is that Christ instead was crushed for your rebellion. But don't just run from the results of your rebellion. Run from your rebellion. Because he offers also a new heart where he would cast out the rebellion. A heart that's no longer enslaved to sin, but which actually truly lives. Now able to live for God's glory in true freedom. Without the slavery of trying to earn your own salvation, but enjoying that Christ has already done this. Dear Christians, are you living as though you are still a slave of sin? When you face a temptation, do you face it as, as one of these rules that you wish God hadn't made and if only you were able to break it because God is keeping something good from you? Let this story be a reminder that any rebellion against God is not for your good. It's not. You have a Lord and Master, a King, and He gives you rules. But your shepherd has already laid down his life for your sins. That means anything he commands you, you can trust. Even if it looks like it would be worse for you, you just trust him. He's already given up his life for you. He was crushed for your sin. He loved you so greatly. He only leads his people in love. We're also supposed to see the anti-human wickedness of the pagan world. We can see this in the response of those townsmen, the herdsmen. We can see this in the response to this man's salvation. The anti-human wickedness of the pagan world. We've already seen earlier in the book of Mark, the non-pagan world. The church that denied the Bible, the Pharisees, Israel... They had shown their wickedness and their lack of love for both God and man. Remember when Jesus healed people on the Sabbath? There's a man who's been healed. He's got this crazy problem and Jesus healed him. And instead of being happy, the Pharisees are like, well, he did it on the Sabbath, so that's probably bad. And they can't rejoice at this man who is now healed. But the pagan world isn't better. What is the response of the owners of the pigs? They begged Jesus, please leave. They should have been begging him to stay. Heal more of us, please. They had no excuse. They saw this man free, but they saw their income slashed. Their investment disappeared. And God was offering them a choice to show what they loved more. Did they love the freedom to rebel if it came with financial gain? Or did they love men freed to live as truly humans? Their rebellion is anti-human. They showed that their rebellion against God is actually not just anti-God, it's also anti-human. And we see this in our society with the abortion industry old and sick people killing industry of the M-A-I-D. We see it with the transgender 
industry and the pride movement, we see it with no-fault divorce. We don't care what it costs people. We don't care so long as we have freedom to rebel, even if we destroy lives. Even legalized prostitution. The CBC is running articles encouraging this. Wouldn't it be great? We need to think of these people. They see harm done to the young and old. And they'll attack anyone who tries to prevent it. So dear brothers and sisters, one of the lies the church is facing right now is that the pagan world, the non-Christian world, is much more compassionate than the church. And the church really does need to learn a lesson. Now the church does need to repent, that is for sure. But the lesson we learn is from the Lord Jesus Christ, not from the people who are rebelling against him. So we too must repent. But do not believe that the, the pagan world loves people more than we do. Sin is sin. It's slavery. Do not apologize for being biblical. It isn't advocacy to encourage sin and to protect it. It's hatred. It's anti-human. But as you condemn it, dear Christian, you must repent of all the sins that you also dip your toe into. Demonstrate that you believe all sin is God-hating and human-hating, not just the sin of other people. Because the same laws that they break, the same commands, the same God that they are sinning against, we also sin against. Lastly, and oh so gloriously, we see something that looks a little bit cruel, but is actually quite wonderful if you look at it. Let's see this. The glorious Ordinary human life, Christ purchased with his blood. It's a mouthful. The glorious, ordinary human life, Christ purchased with his blood. So the town leaders wanted Jesus to leave town, right? Please leave. But then this healed man comes up to Jesus, and he has a request of Jesus too. What is this man's request of Jesus? He requests, can I leave my town can I leave my life? Can I leave ordinary life? And can I join you in the 12? Can I be with one of you? Can I be like, because well, you guys are traveling around Israel and preaching the gospel. You don't have ordinary lives. You don't, have, you don't own possessions. You don't own homes. You're traveling around. Can I be like you? Can I join you and the 12? And it says Jesus did not permit him. Well, that's not very kind of Jesus. Is this man not good enough? Jesus got, well, I mean, Jesus can have tax collectors, former tax collectors, but he draws the line at former demon-possessed men. No, that's not what's happening. What we see is Jesus had a love for the town greater than the town leaders. Why is the, why is the man told he should stay? What is he supposed to do while he's there? Set the town on fire? What's he supposed to do? Tell others of the mercy and grace he's received from the Lord. Jesus loved that town more than the leaders of the town did. And he calls this man, no, don't come with me. I want you to live an ordinary life. So this man is going to get a job. He's going to perhaps marry, raise a family with his wife as a Christian. For the glory of God, he's going to live an ordinary human life. 
thanking God for every good gift that he gets, using all the gifts that God gives to honor God, rather than being enslaved by those gifts, he worships God for them. He gets to live as an adopted son and to tell everyone he knows about the gospel. Dear friends, the ideal is to not to leave your life to honor God, but to honor him in an ordinary life, to live as you were created to do and then to and save to do, to be the child of aging parents, to be the neighbor of a difficult man, to be the brother of siblings, to be the mother of children, to be the wife of a husband, to work for the benefit of your community. This is the life that Christ purchased. And this is truly living in freedom. To work six days. To love your family and neighbors and workplace and church family. To teach your children of Christ. To teach your neighbors of Christ. And then to gather each Lord's Day to be fed by your adopted father. This is lovely. This is pleasing to God. This is freedom. And we see here Jesus is telling this man now to live the ideal life that he purchased for him. An ordinary life. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9, expressed in a letter what Jesus expresses in an event. 1 Thessalonians 4 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you, indeed, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that, is, that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, the church definitely needed the 12 apostles, right? They needed the eyewitnesses to follow Jesus around the countryside to see what he was doing. And also, through them, God would give the church the Bible. And the church does need pastors. But why? To help people live the glorious life that Christ purchased. A pastor is a temporary need. It's not the ideal. You think about it's irregular to be a pastor. I know I'm a little irregular. A regular heartbeat is the best kind of heartbeat. The ordinary life is the one that is pleasing to God. And the only reason why God would set aside the apostles and why he would set aside pastors, the main event, the sweet life purchased by Christ is an ordinary life living as a freed former slave. As an adopted son or daughter of God. Telling of the gospel while living an ordinary, beautiful human life. Dear church, do you see Christ's lordship as less lovely than his sacrifice? Oh, I love that he paid for my sins, but I actually don't really like that he's a master. This passage should correct that. Both of those things are lovely. Both of those things are part of the gospel. Do you see sin as a good thing that God keeps from you to test your loyalty? Or do you see it as a wicked thing that God keeps from you to show his goodness? 
Do you trust your obedience to the law? I'm pretty good at this. I'm not like the pagans. You know, I'm not demon possessed. And therefore God must love me because I'm good at his law. That is definitely not true. You've broken the same law that they have. You participated in the same rebellion. Are you willing to be hated by the world for be, by being a person who loves God and who also loves men? Dear church, enjoy the life purchased by Christ's blood. A life of freedom. Because he was marred instead of you. What sin should have done to you, Christ said to the Father, let it do it to me. And do to me what should have been done to these people in my church so that they can live as only I deserve. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not left us in our rebellion. Lord, that while we were still enemies, you sent your Son to die for our sins, to forgive us of our sins, but also to free us from the slavery and the destruction that comes along with sin. Father, forgive our rebellion. We confess that our rebellion is not against a cruel God, but against a good one. And we confess that we often see things the way the world does, that we see sin as a good thing and we're tempted by it. Lord, forgive us for that. Transform our thoughts, transform our desires, that we would desire to live the life you have called us to live for your glory as blood-bought, freed children of God, knowing that there is no greater freedom than to be under your complete authority. We pray that you would do that in us. It would be a miracle, no less than the miracle of Jesus calming the storm and casting out these demons. And so we pray in Christ's name that you would perform that miracle in each one here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.